It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hello, and welcome to Slow News, the podcast where we look at what's driving the news, not breaking news. I'm Basha Cummings, an editor at Tortoise. And now I don't know about you, but I've lived the last few weeks of lockdown with tunnel vision. I've been obsessed by the unfolding catastrophe around me, close by. I've followed the numbers of people dying every day, the horrific situation in British care homes, and I've jumped on tips for coping mechanisms. But as we pass through the peak of infections here in England, and as we emerge from what we hope was the worst bit of all of this, it feels like my world is expanding a bit again. I'm able to look further afield, and what I quickly realise is that in many ways we've actually been very, very lucky. Look elsewhere, and you get a shock to the system. At least, that's what happened to me when I spoke to a man called Claude earlier this week. So at first, I thought this was going to be a podcast about famine and about food insecurity. Ten days ago, the World Food Programme warned that there are biblical-level famines on the way because of coronavirus. The executive director of the World Food Programme has warned that the coronavirus outbreak is pushing the planet to the brink of what he's called a hunger pandemic. There are no famines yet, but I must warn you that if we don't prepare and act now to secure access, avoid funding shortfalls and disruptions to trade, We could be facing multiple famines within a short few months. The scale of the threat is staggering. The number of people suffering from hunger could go from 135 million people worldwide to more than 250 million. But speaking to Claude Jujabar, the head of the World Food Programme in the Democratic Republic of Congo, this very quickly turned into a story about bravery. It became a story about choice, the choice to stay and fight. When I speak to Claude, there are deadly floods sweeping through parts of the country. It's raining heavily. And he talks to me from Gombe, the upmarket international district of the capital, Kinshasa, where a lockdown is sort of possible. His World Food Programme colleague, Helen, captured this eerie quiet for us. You can hear the toads at the port across the road, and there's been a power cut so right across the river 
more than 20 kilometers away, you can see the lights of Brazzaville in Congo Republic. But everything on this side is in darkness. Normally here you would have music um, very often throughout the night, sometimes so loud that you want to put your head under the pillow. But now, early this evening before the rain came, there was one Mongo man in a bar across the road who was dancing to very quiet music, but that's it. So. Elsewhere in the city of 11.8 million people, the lockdown is a fantasy. They have to continue as normal. When I speak to Claude, he's cheerful, miraculously upbeat, clearly so committed. But there's also a tinge of sadness in his voice too. In my 25 years of humanitarian work, this is the first time when I and my staff, we are at the center of the crisis. The COVID is not something that is happening far away, where I sit in Kinshasa, devise, strategize, discuss, and say, guys, let's go and do this. I am in the middle of it. When I wake up in the morning, I think about my two daughters who are with me. And I suppose, Claude, in other humanitarian uh, disasters, you know, you would expect to see an influx of humanitarian agencies and special staff. That presumably is not going to happen anymore, and at least not for the foreseeable future. So you and your staff and your distribution network, that's it. You're on your own now, and you're going to have to see this through on your own. I have staff, some of them fairly senior staff, who have decided that they wanted to leave. They did not want to stay anymore in the GRC because they have relatives back in Europe. And let me also be honest, some people really freaked out at the idea of falling sick of COVID in the DRC. So that has been a problem for some of us to retain our international capacity in country. Was that painful, that moment, to see people leaving? It is painful for me, of course, but I don't know how painful it is for the Congolese. But okay, that, that's the reality of things. That's the reality of things. So the message to the staff who is staying here is every day, I start all meetings by saying, thank you guys. Thank you for being here. Thank you for holding the fort. Let's continue. Let's push. And I told them, I said, guys, our success will be DRC success. So as I said, it's the first time where we are at the center of the crisis and we are fighting also for ourselves. But we don't expect, we don't expect, frankly, much to come from outside. I have to say, I would love to hear one of your motivational meeting speeches because I imagine they're very powerful. They are in French. (laughs) (laughs) So you're in Kinshasa, a very, very busy capital city. Can you describe 
what it's like there right now in a lockdown. The largest percentage of the people in this city wake up in the morning, they take a tray, they put on the tray whatever they want to be selling on that day. They walk kilometers and kilometers trying to sell whatever they have so as to earn one pound, so as to buy something when going back home for themselves and their children. So confinement is just not possible outside Gondor. You know, I have had international staff who arrived in Kinshasa were driven from the airport to Kinshasa City and they freaked out because of the crowd, because of the numbers of people, because of how the streets are totally jammed. So there is really nothing like social distancing. So the lockdown outside of Gombe doesn't really exist. People aren't able to change their way of life in the way that we might be able to elsewhere. So describe what that means in terms of the threat from coronavirus. How worried are you that this is going to spread through the population in a really serious way? My concern is to know how is the virus already spreading throughout the city? I mean, I wish if we could have a million tests in the next couple of weeks in this country, I think we would start having an idea of how widely spread this virus is in the country. Because people are not tested, because there isn't enough tests, there isn't enough capacity To give you an idea, the tests are made in Kinshasa. Goma, if you have a sample in Goma, you have to fly that sample from Goma to Kinshasa. And you fly two and a half hours. And it is in Kinshasa that the test has to be done. So it gives you an idea of (laughs) the challenges that we are facing in this country. So one of the things that we're really interested to talk to you about is is the fear of what coronavirus will do to the food supply and why this is such a big issue for you in Congo. Now, we can see that across the region, national lockdowns and social distancing have been drying up work and income, disrupting agricultural production, What are you seeing now on the ground with your work? The number of people who are severely food insecure and people who are in phases where they need urgent, urgent, immediate food assistance. If you're in the rural area, nature provides already a certain level of support through wild foods, uh, caterpillars, all those things that this rich country can provide, which make it nearly impossible to have famine. In 2017, we saw 
renewed high levels of food insecurity linked directly to conflict. Today, we have 15.6 million people who are severely food insecure and who, and who require immediate food assistance. Those are our top, top priority. In addition to those 15.6, there is another 27 million people in this country who are not eating to the field. That is why the DRC crisis is ranked second highest hunger in the world after Yemen. But those people don't have any means of surviving anymore because those people don't have anything for the next day. When I asked Claude how exactly it was that coronavirus could trigger famine, he described a woman. A woman who takes care of a small field, which is the way that she feeds herself and her family. The woman who tends her field, if she is sick of coronavirus, but if nothing is done for Now, she might get sick of coronavirus, Claude said, but she might recover. However, if the fight against malaria is now on pause, she'll more than likely contract malaria and she will be more sick more often. And this means that she won't be able to tend to her field and she won't be able to feed herself or her family. It means that that woman will be less capable of taking care of her field because she will be sick. And this... One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This will be happening hundreds of thousands, if not million times over in the country. That's how food insecurity and self-sufficiency can be demolished by coronavirus. And then Claude listed a terrifying list of other challenges. 
is that impact of the climate change. In some parts of the country, 75% of the maize production has been lost. Some diseases, plant diseases like the mosaic of the cassava, are reappearing again. Some other diseases that were gone 20 years ago are reappearing in the country. And of in recent months, grasshoppers have been ruining crops. Elsewhere in the country, 150 armed groups are fighting almost continuously and they're creating huge population displacement, which has massive knock-on effects for food security. It's a frankly dizzying list of challenges, and I think it's probably the reason why the next question that I asked Claude was a stupid one. But I think it's one that is useful because it belies my privilege, my inability to probably meaningfully fathom the situation that Claude and the Congolese people around him face. I asked him, with all of this, does it feel like coronavirus might be the straw that breaks the camel's back? Can you take on this fight? And his response, I have to say, was brilliantly and gratifyingly blunt. Congo does not have the choice. It has to take it on. Just like, you know, for us, you know, people sometimes say, you know, do you still think you can do something? I said, this is where we should be the most motivated. Yeah. This is when we are needed the most. Because you cannot give up. The Congolese will yeah. not give up. They don't have the choice. They cannot just cross their hand and say, okay, that's it. They will fight it. What it might mean is that people will tell you, listen, Corona, okay. If Corona kills me, let it kill me. But I cannot stay home and die of hunger and have my children die of hunger. We are all frightened, but my fear is that very quickly people will say, listen, we just cannot continue like that. We have to go back to some sort of normality. We're going to die anyway. So let's give it a chance. Claude, I'm just amazed by the scale of what you're facing. And that's before you include a pandemic in that. How do you feel about the task at hand? The pandemic that comes in, yes, it is going to create havoc. Now, let me be honest. Some of my major concerns are the numbers of people who are going to die, not directly, but the number of people who are going to die because indirectly nothing else is being done to support those communities. Let me give you an example. Malaria kills maybe 15 to 20,000 people every year in this country. Probably maybe even more. That's malaria alone. Measles, measles did kill 6,000 people last year not to mention cholera, not to mention Ebola. All of these, all of these support, all of these activities, the distribution of mosquito nets 
has nearly come to a halt. So what is going to happen? What is going to happen to those people? All of us, every year, we develop these malaria symptoms, which, by the way, resemble very often the COVID symptoms. Now, before, they were already not going to be treated because they didn't necessarily have the means, the capacity to pay uh, $1 or $2 you know, for a kid who is sick. So they don't even have access to medicine anymore. So what do you think is going to happen? The numbers of people who are going to die of malaria in this country, I, I, cannot, I cannot estimate it, but I think it's going to be way, way above what normally happens. This might be, you know, an impossible question for you to answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. If you have C19 on the one hand and you have the threat of famine and hunger on the other, listening to you talk, it seems to me as if it's hunger which is going to be the much more deadly problem facing Congo over the next year than it is coronavirus. Would you say that's right? Yes, yes. You know what my top three priorities are from day one of COVID-19? The first priority is my staff. I have 700 staff in this country spread over 17 field offices. We need to provide food, direct food assistance to 7 million people. Now probably we will aim at 9 million people. So I need to make sure that those people are ready, that they understand, like me, what is at stake, what is expected from us. But I also fully understand that they have those huge concerns about their own family members. So that has been our top, top, top priority. Then second, it has been the continuation of what we were doing. If we don't manage through this period to save lives, okay, but also to change the lives of as many people as we can, in a year or two years' time, we won't have enough to even save the lives of the people. But I just wanted to ask you about Ebola, because obviously in early March, Congo was a just on the brink, just right on the brink of celebrating the end of what was a long and arduous and fairly underreported fight against Ebola. It's now more than a month since the last case of Ebola in DRC. If it stays that way, the outbreak will be declared over in less than a month's time. We would like to... And then, just in that final moment, a new case has emerged and then coronavirus arrived. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about whether treating Ebola has helped Congo prepare for C19, whether actually the hospitals are better resourced than they were, whether sort of public health messaging is more robust than it would have been, or actually is the healthcare system on its knees? Is it depleted and exhausted? And does that leave it in an even more difficult place to fight COVID-19? 
the the resumption of the Ebola case really came as a as a terrible blow into our face. It, it was one of those things where you you nearly dropped the ball. <laughs> but of course, I mean, immediately after you knew that okay, guys, let, let's let, let's take it on. Uh, we can't we can't stop it. Let me say that. Um, if people, if you have half of your population that is food insecure, half of your population that does not have a dollar to eat what they need to eat every day, do you think they are going to spend that dollar in a health center when they have a headache, when the kid has diarrhea? No. They will go to the traditional healer, they'll do a number of other things, because that dollar is so vital for them. So building and sustaining a health system, I think also has to come with a very solid population, growth, development, at least food security has to be there. So much, Claude, of what you've described, it it's almost sounds like a race against time that you're trying to avoid, you know, something close to a kind of biblical level of famine and food insecurity across the country. I just wondered, for you personally, so senior in this fight to stop people from dying from hunger, how do you shoulder this responsibility? How do you sort of cope day to day facing this huge task ahead of you? I think if in life you can change something, do something and be able to say, I have contributed. The one place you can do it, I think, is in this country. I always say that if I had a magical stick, <laughs> and then I was told, listen, change something somewhere in this world, I will not go to my home country, which is, by the way, West Africa over there. I will come and change something in the Congo because if you can change things and help this country come out of the famine, food insecurity, come out of the underdevelopment, put this country on the track of development, it will be a tremendous change for all the neighboring countries and let me say the whole of this continent. So if there is a place where, you know, changes need to happen, it is here. Because it is so central. So central. One of the things that really despair me is that this country potentially could feed, guess what, two billion people. And here I am, as WFP, shamefully distributing food getting food into this country to assist people. I mean, it blows my mind. Thanks for listening today. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, I think there's a good chance that you'll enjoy all the other journalism that we produce at Tortoise, articles and investigations that you can read on our app and online. 
And because we're an open newsroom, that means that there are a whole load of editorial meetings that you can join in on from wherever you are in the world. You can shape our journalism and the stories that we tell in our digital thinkings. So you can get our app and get access to everything that we do. Just go to tortoisemedia.com forward slash pod trial for a 30 day free trial. See you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Does what's going on in the American election scare and bemuse you in equal measure? Want to know what Biden and Trump are up to without tearing your hair out? Then you need to listen to American Friction, the brand new podcast about the countdown to the big vote in November from the makers of Oh God, What Now?, The Bunker and Paper Cuts. Every Friday, we'll speak to leading experts and blockbuster commentators from the United States to explain the latest news and the big issues behind the vote. That's American Friction with me, Jacob Jarvis. Me, Chris Jones. And me, Nikki McCann Ramirez. Out every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.